so of course, Parshat Vayera is just packed with tons of great stuff. You cannot beat the Akedah for drama, and we've dealt with it over a couple of years. We've dealt with uh, some details about the Akedah. Of course, there is also the problem with the visit of these three guys, angels at Avram's tent, the famous approach to the Rambam, and it's all in a vision, and then the, on the opposite end, the approach of the, of the Rashbam, that, uh, that the angels are God in some form. How to deal with that, it's very difficult. Um, and of course, the birth of Yitzchak, the exile of Yishmael, the Brit with Avimelech, tons of great stuff in this parasha. But the first third of the parasha is really devoted to stone, meaning after the people visit Avram, Avram escorts them towards stone. And, uh, and then this strange conversation takes place. And so we're going to take a look at that conversation. Uh, the conversation is very famous, and it is, you might argue, Avram's crowning moment, and maybe the most powerful moment for any human being in history, to stand up to God and challenge God on his own terms, and to win. Maybe. So let's take a look at the story and just read it through, make sure we understand it, and then I'll ask the questions along the way. Now, these are the people now who were visiting Avram. Avram gets up, he escorts them. Vashkif means to look down. They look down at stone. The Avraham Avram was escorting them, right? Another part of Chesed of Avraham escorting his guests. Beautiful. Vadunai Omar. Now, this is this this phrase itself is difficult. Does it mean God said to himself? It was God thought, or does it mean God actually said this to somebody? So it, most people would read, whenever you have the word Amar without a target, like Amar Le, the assumption is it means that he thought this, he, he considered this. But um, the Rashbam actually says, this is one of the Malachim speaking. And he said, in any case, whatever it is, God decided, Am I going to hide from Avraham what I'm about to do? Right? So now this is how the whole plot starts is that God decides he has to tell Avram about his plans. And what's his reason? Avram indeed will be a great, powerful nation. And all the people of the land will be blessed through him. Now that doesn't yet explain why he's doing this, but this will. What do I know about Avram? That he's going to direct his children and his household after him. They will maintain the path of Hashem, which is justice and righteousness. So that I can bring you all the great things I'm going to bring. So now, in other words, God says, I have to let Abraham know about this because he is going to be the father of a great nation that's going to teach the world, essentially, and bless the world through the knowledge of Derech Hashem, which is Stakao Mishpat. Now, that doesn't really explain why he feels he has to share this with Abraham. Perhaps we'll discover that later. And now, God says, and again, doesn't say El Abraham, which means it sounds like God just speaking in Abraham's eavesdropping. The cry from Stom and Amorah is great, is powerful, is big. Their sin is very heavy. Now, at this point, we get into something which at best could be called anthropo kineticism, in other words, describing God in human movement terms, I just made that one up, 
I'm going to go down and I will see if the screams that are coming up to me accurately reflect what's going on, in which case they're finished, if not, then I'll know. Which means God seems to be saying to Avraham, listen, we got a problem with stone. It sounds like things are terrible. I'm going to go check it out, which itself is a theologically very weird thing to say. I'm going to go check it out for God. And if not, I'll know. But God has telegraphed his plans to Avram, which is, I'm going to destroy Stom if things are as bad as they seem. And if not, I'll know and I won't destroy it. Okay. This is what clues the Rashbam into saying that it's actually one of the Malachim saying this, because then the men turn. They go to Stom. And Avram is still standing in front of God. So in the Rashbam's take, that means that one of them is speaking in God's voice. There are three of them. Two of them go down the stone, and the other one stands and Avram negotiates with him. Again, a very difficult read, but the whole, the whole passage is difficult. Okay. Now, we, you're Avram now, and what have you just heard? You've heard that God is telling you, he's letting you in on his plans, which is, I'm going to go find out if things are as bad at stone as it sounds, and if they are, I'm going to destroy it, and if not, I'll know, which means God has not yet decided to destroy it, but is going to do it based on what he sees. Okay, Vayigash Avraham Vayomar, and Avraham now approaches. Now, the word Vayigash, as the Midrash points out, indicates a belligerent approach, like Vayigash Yehuda, that it's that it's it's like confront confrontational. Ha'af v'tzadikim rasha. Is your anger going to finish off? We spoke is to finish off like Sof, the innocent with the wicked. So that means that Avram's saying, okay, God, you're going to go find out. And let's say that the cries really are bad and you're going to destroy the place. That means you're going to be destroying innocent people with the wicked. And then he says, This is very famous. What if there's 50 innocent people there? Are you going to let your anger go out and destroy and not bear the place, meaning not forgive the place? Because of the fifty innocent people, and God, yeah, Rabbi, what? Yeah, just a quick question uh, in the um, Hebrew. Um, it says, uh, I think, uh, tzaddik, right? Which uh, we often think of as a righteous person, but in this context, you're you're saying it it connotes an innocent person, right? So certainly in Chumash and in early Tanakh, the word tzaddik, when applied to a person, not God, we have God called it tzaddik in Varim Lamed Bet. Uh, tzaddik means innocent. And you see the best example of that is in Sefer Dvarim when it talks about two people coming before the court and says, They find the innocent one innocent and the guilty one guilty. Uh, the word tzaddik, like many other words in Hebrew, had, its de- had developed and its meaning developed in all sorts of different ways. So that tzaddik in the 18th century isn't tzaddik in the 21st century. Tzaddik in the 18th century usually meant the Hasidic Rebbe, and you were coming to the court of the Tzaddik. Uh, tzaddik in, uh, in, in Chazal means something different. And today, again, you think about it, somebody who's very pious. Right? Okay, thank you. Yeah, and so for instance, uh, the best example of that is Noach. Noach's called an East Tzaddik. If you look at Noach's story, he doesn't look like such a pious person. Look at his end story, it's terrible. But the idea is he's innocent of the crime that the rest of the world was guilty of that got them sentenced to the flood. Right. So anyhow, 
Here, Avram says, what is this, 15 innocent people? And by the way, that's the, mis- the miscarriage of justice. The miscarriage of justice is not killing pious with, right. with wicked, it's killing innocent with guilty. Right. So he says, Sort of, if you translate, you would say, God forbid that you would do this. Of course, God's doing it. Uh, that you would do something like this. What's the real ava? What's the real crime here? To have the tzaddik and the rasha be treated the same way. God forbid you would do it. Will the judge of the earth, will the, will the judge of the earth not do justice? Now notice how beautifully this fits in. Because why did God say, I'll reveal this plan to Avram? Because Avram is going to teach the world about Derech Hashem, which is Tzedakah Umishpat. And look what words keep coming up in here. Tzaddik, Mishpat, Shofet. Those two words are what keep operating. It's beautiful. So now, what does Avram ask for? What if there's 50 innocent people in Stoneman? Of course, the first question we got to ask is, why 50? Where did he come up with the number 50? Now, famously, Rashi here, I'm going to skip right to Rashi, says, why 50? He's basing it on one of the Midrashim. Says, why? Because you need a minion. Where that comes from is unclear. We're going to come back to it. But there's five cities that are under indictment here. Stom, Amora, Admats, Foyim, and so are. And so therefore, if there's 10 Sadikim in every city, then, there's five places, therefore save him. Now, there's several problems with this comment. If you look at Pasuk Chava, which we're about to read, you'll see what's God's response. If I find in stone 50 tzadikim, which means we're not talking about the other cities. And by the way, it doesn't ever say here that God's going to destroy other cities. It says stone and Amorah. The other cities aren't under indictment yet. At least we don't see that. But the second thing is, God says, if I find 50 tzadikim in the city, and he emphasizes, be stom betoch ha'ir. So it's not talking about the whole area. It's talking about the city of stom, 50 tzadikim. That I will bear, meaning I will allow the place to live. Now, by the way, the way the story actually plays out, which you all know, is the two guys come into the city of stom. They don't go to the other cities. And they come to the city of stom to see how many tzadikim are there. And they find out, by the way, how many are actually there. None, but they're coming down to do the checking. They don't go to the other cities. We're talking about stone. So the question comes back and says, why 50? So God says, if I find 50, fine. So then Abraham, we know this negotiation, but Abraham is very tricky. And by the way, God's tricky. Watch. I'm ashes, I'm dirt, I'm nothing. What if there's five people missing from my number? Now notice, he doesn't say what if there's 45. He says, what if I'm only missing five? That's clever. He's saying, for 50, you're willing to forgive them. What if I'm missing five? So are you going to destroy the place because of five missing people? Notice. That's the way he says it. God, I said, is trickier. So how does he answer? Good, I won't destroy it if I find 45. God calls a spade a spade. You're not asking me about five, you're asking me about 45. Okay. And then he says, what about 40? And then he says, 30 and 20 and 10. And this is also what gets problematic. After God agrees to 10, Avram stops. So the first question I'm asking is, why did Avram start at 50? The bigger question, perhaps, is 
why did Avraham end at 10? Why didn't he say, what if I eight? What if I five? What if I say 10? And of course, the real question is, this entire numbers game doesn't make sense because it should have been one. What happens if I find an innocent person? After all, what's his claim? His claim is, you are the proper judge of the earth. You're supposed to be executing justice. It's a lack of justice if the innocent are killed with the wicked. So why is it any less just? Why is it any less unjust if it's only one innocent guy being killed with the wicked as opposed to 10 or 50 or 100? So why, what's the, what, the numbers don't make sense. Where's that coming from? Now, you'll notice a second piece to the puzzle is that, is that as we know, when Lot and his wife and two daughters were rescued, and they weren't rescued because they earned it. They were rescued because of Avram. Hashem remembered Avram and sent them out. So they didn't necessarily deserve it. When they're rescued, what does the Malach tell them not to do? What are they not allowed to do? They're not allowed to what? Right. Don't look back. Don't look back. Right. Ephraim Kishon, the great humorist, had an entire book of his skits that was called Don't Look Back, Mrs. Lot. Right? Don't look back. And Mrs. Lot looks back, and we know she becomes a pillar of the community. We all know the story. But what does Avram do? Avram, during the destruction, comes out, El I'll tell you a story about that place in a second. Avram comes to the place where he was before, where he was praying, where he was negotiating. And by the way, that's the pasuk where the Midrash says Avram established Shachri. He stood there. And Vayashkef, he looked down, just like the two men looked down at Stom and then went down, Avram looks down also. And he sees the whole valley and the smoke is rising from it like the smoke of a furnace. Okay, so Mrs. Lode is not allowed to look down. Avram seems to feel like he has to look down. And he does look down. Why? Which is going to then lead us to the next question that may sound simplistic, but I don't think so. Why do we need to hear this story? Not so much the story about, uh, about the destruction of stone that we may need to hear because later on in history, the destruction of stone will become a model, both in Sefer Dvarim and in Sefer Yishayahu and in Sefer Amos, for terrible destruction. And Yechezkel will come up. Stone becomes a mythical place almost. But why do we have to hear the story of these negotiations? And a 50 and down a 10, why? I mean, it's impressive. Avram is impressive here, but why do we need to hear it? And I think Avram looking at the city is a part of that puzzle. Um, I want to show you something here in the Midrash, but first I want to tell you about that place. So a number of years ago, uh, I was uh, in Israel Thanksgiving, as I usually am, and uh, a friend of mine was there also with his family. As I said, you know what? Let's go on a teal together. I have a madrich who is the, a madrich of madrichim. And uh, he can get us in anywhere, and he'll show us the coolest places. So we met up in Yerushalayim, and we traveled together. We went to Kevin Rachel, or the place that's called Kevin Rachel. It showed us all the cool stuff there. And we went from there to Hebron. We went into Hebron. And from Hebron, we went a little further south. And he says, I want to show you guys something cool. So I'm in the lead car with this guy, and the other car is behind me with everybody else. 
And he says, go take a left off the road, road 16, to take a left off the road. I take a left off the road, and I see the big red sign. You guys know the red sign, right? The red sign, which I think is a tremendous chil Hashem, which says, this is Shetach A, this is Palestinian territory. Israelis are not allowed to go here. We can't take you know, responsibility for your safety, et cetera, et cetera. He says, go there. I say, I can't go there. It's a red sign. He said, you go, go there. So I start driving up to the red sign, and there's a chayal standing there. So I said, what am I supposed to do? He said, just a second. He pulls out his phone. And 30 seconds later, the chayal comes over and says, all right, guys, come on in. He called some general that he knows. The general called the base. The base called the chayal. The chayal and said, let these guys in. Okay. It's good to be, it's good to hang out with people like that. So we go in, we drive in, we park, and we get out, and we walk. And he says, okay, I want you all to stop and turn around. So we're on a, almost a cliff. And he says, turn around to your back. We turn back. And he said, you see those cluster of houses over there? That's Tel Romeda. Tel Romeda is an old neighborhood of Hebron, which was biblical Hebron. That's um, Elone Mamre. That's where Avram's tent was. And now he turned around and looked down. And you look down and you could see the far side of the Dead Sea, the exact stone plot where stone, place where stone was. This is a place where Avram would have come out from Hebron, and this would be the place from where you could look down at stone. I said, pretty cool. He said, I said, are we standing somewhere near where Avram was standing in this pasuk? He says, maybe. And then he takes us over, and in the, in the stone of this mountain, there are two huge footsteps, which are called Raglav Shal Avram, Akivav Shal Avram, Avram's footsteps. Two huge feet. You put your feet in there and say, I did it. You stand in these footsteps. You're standing where Avram was. You can turn your body around without getting out of the out of the feet, footstep and see Tel Romeda. And you turn forward and you can see stone. Now, is that really Avram's footsteps? If so, he played center for the Lakers. I don't know. It's size 25 shoes. I don't know. But it was clearly created later. But it was created later because there was a tradition that that's the exact spot where Avram stood. And very likely it is. In any case, back to our Shiva. So now the Midrash is also bothered by Y50. And the Midrash here is actually bothered by why Avram stops at 10. We saw Rashi's explanation for 50. Okay, good. Let's take a look. The Midrash, Breshit Rabbah here, says, Lama asara Unclear what that means. Davarachir, another reason, Lama asara, Y10. Avra made a cheshbon and said, wait a second. There were eight righteous people or eight innocent people at the time of the flood. Noach, his wife, Noach's three sons, and their wives. Now, by the way, we're making an interesting assumption here, which we're going to build on, which is that if the man is a tzaddik, his wife's got to be at tzaddikah, and that means their kids got to be tzaddikim, and the people they marry are tzaddikim, which means if Noah has an ish tzaddik, it must be that his wife is a tzaddik. It means must be shame cham and yafar tzaddikim. Wait till we get to the tent. And it means their wives must be tzaddikot, tzaddikot, which means you have eight innocent people, and it wasn't enough to save the world. So I'm saying, oh, so if I try going below 10, God will say no, so I better stop at 10. Which, by the way, means, okay, why didn't he say nine? Okay, fine. But uh, the other problem is you could make the easily counter-argument, which is, well, fine, maybe you needed more than eight to save the world, but maybe for a city, one is enough. Good point. 
So the next Midrash takes a different approach. Rabbi Yudah, Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Hanin, B'Shem Rabbi Yochanan. Sorry, Rabbi Yorachar. Lama Asara? Why did Avram stop at 10? Because he was convinced that there were 10. In other words, I don't need to go further because there are 10 there. Who are the 10 that are there? Lot, Ve'ishto, Arba Benotav, Ve'arba'a Chatanav. Right? Now, what, where is he getting this? In other words, that Lot, he said, must be a tzaddik. And if Lot's married, then Lot's wife's got to be a tzaddik. Tzaddikah. And according to this Midrash, Lot had four daughters. Why four daughters? Because the way you can read the story is there were Chatanav Lokchevenotav. He spoke to his sons-in-law, which means at least two sons-in-law. So that's two daughters. And there's another two who are single. Right? So here, Avram somehow thinks, well, but all of them are either married or betrothed. And of course, if they're Tzadikaniyot, they must be betrothed or married to Tzadikim. So there's already 10 Tzadikim in Stom, which means Lot, his wife, four daughters, and the husbands, that's 10. Or they're, they're betrothed. They're affianced. So that's 10. So Avram doesn't go any further. Okay, let's see what's going on. So I want to start by asking the question, about 50, because it's a separate answer. And it may surprise you, but I think I, I think I have a handle on why 50 might be the number he started with. You know the story of Stone. We actually looked at it last year from a different perspective, or two years ago, from uh, the, the, the perspective that maybe what the, what, it was an interrogation and that the daughters were really like a collateral. How big was the town of Stone? Now, think about the description. Lot goes out to the city square and brings these guys into his house. Who immediately surrounds the house? What does the text say? The entire city of Stone surrounds the house. And they yell, you know, where's that guy? Get him out. We want to know him. And Lot goes out and talks to them. And he says, Allah, my brothers, don't be bad. And they start hassling him. And then finally they go to the door and they get blinded and the whole story plays out. How big is the town of Stone? It's the entire city is there. How big is it? So we don't know. We have no records of the town of Stone before it was destroyed. And after it was destroyed, we have no records because it was destroyed. We do have records, however, from other towns in Canaan that are prominent towns. For instance, in the El Amarna letters that were found in the 1920s that are administrative letters from the period of the Avot and the period, uh, from the period of the Avot, there were communications back and forth, in some cases to Canaan. We have a request from the king of Shechem to Paro, because they were under Egyptian hegemony, for resources. Uh, and it seems that the town of Shechem was made up of about 100 Chamulot, 100 clans. It's very likely that's the size of Shechem. I have to remember that when we're talking about these sort of people here, the only person that counts is head of family. So I'm going to posit that there were approximately 90 families in Shechem. So what's Avram's claim? Avram comes to Shechem. Shechem or Sodom? In Stone, Stone, sorry, in Stone. So Avram comes to God and says, What's his argument? So if you recall, there is a famous Gemaran Kedushan at the end of the first parak that the Rambam quotes in Hechot Shuvah. It says, 
a person should always see himself as exactly balanced between mitzvot and averot to motivate him to do another mitzvah that'll tip the scales. And not only that, but he should always view the entire world as exactly even. If he does one mitzvah, he's tipped the scale in favor of the world. In other words, Avram is going to argue, Rove, a majority of the town is innocent. You can't kill them. 50. And God accedes to it, which means, by the way, what was God's original plan the way it was described? I'm going to go into the town, and if indeed there is a cry like that, I'll know and I'll destroy them, which means it could be there's 10 terrible people in town, but they're causing such oppression, I'm going to destroy the town. Avram says, rogue, majority of the town is innocent. You can't do it. And Avram Hashem says, okay. And then Avram does the negotiating tactic. Well, that's where 50 comes from. We understand how he gets down. Why does he stop at 10? So I think that this Midrash holds the key. Avram stops at 10 because he was convinced that there were 10, but there's something else going on. So we have an interesting passage in Yechezkel Yodali. Yechezkel, he talks about punishments coming to a place. And he says, you could have some very righteous people living in a place. And here it does mean righteous. Three great people, Noah, Daniel, Eov. If there's a plague coming, these people will be able to save themselves. And you look, look at the story, Noah and Daniel, maybe Daniel actually, and Eov is stories of people who everybody around them was destroyed, but they were saved. In other words, they won't be able to save their own kids. They alone will be saved. The land will be destroyed. In other words, an individual doesn't have the ability to save an area. Why not? So I want to take you back to Avram himself. Because Avram, this is something Avram should understand, and he bequeathed to us. Avraham is the quintessential lonely person. He's the quintessential iconoclast. He's told Lech Lecha, and he's supposed to leave everything behind and go alone, and he constantly is wandering from place to place. He's all alone. True? Not true. Because when he's living in Hebron, and he finds out that Lot has been taken captive, what does he do? He immediately gears up and looks in source six, 318 members of his household, who are his retinue, to go out to war. And then in Pasuk, in Parakid Zion, when Avram is told to do a Brit Milah, who does he do a Brit Milah with? All of the members of his household. In other words, Beit Avraham are a community of believers and of people who are members of the Brit. Maybe they don't get their belief very well. Maybe it's unsophisticated belief, but they are part of Avram's community. Why is that? So there's a powerful passage in the Rambam, in Hilchot Deot, which approximates, by the way, Shemona Prakim. Where he says as follows, It is man is a social animal, and man is influenced by the people around him, both in attitudes and in actions. And he behaves like the people around him. Therefore, you should hang out with good people. Hang out with wise people. Not only to learn from them. But and distance yourself from wicked people who walk in the darkness. Not to learn from them, not to be influenced by them. And then he goes on and he says, let's say you're in a, in a place where the people are bad. Get up and leave. And let's say, Brahman creates a crazy example. 
that you cannot find a place in the world where the people are good, go live in the desert. Go all alone. Right? And he gives sukkim. The Rambam here is stating something which is patently obvious to us. It's something that Aristotle develops a lot. And, and that is that we are all drawn by the community that we're in. Our values, our priorities, our actions, uh, our attitudes are all shaped by that. And so therefore, a person has to find himself in a good community. Watch what Avraham is faced with. Avraham knows that in the town of Stone, the people are bad. They're so bad that God's about to destroy it. So Avram says, the only way that anybody in the town could remain innocent is if he has a community of like-minded people to hang out with. According to the Midrash, Avram says, Lod has that, because Lod has his daughters and his sons-in-law and his wife, and they'll all support each other in their fight against the stream swimming upstream against the, the, the attitudes of the people in stone. Avram knows there's no such thing as five. There's no such thing as two, and there's certainly no such thing as one. Because like Yechezkel said, one person might be able to stand by himself, but he cannot generate the energy needed to be worthy of salvation. And therefore, Avram stops at 10 because lower than 10 won't save the place. Because basically, the bottom line is, it's either 10 or bust. If you don't have a group around you to support you, you have two choices. You are a good person. You're a person who values life. You're a person who values righteousness. You're a person who values tolerance, whatever it may be. And you're around a entire community that eschews those values and that promotes opposite values. You have two choices and only two choices. Choice one, leave. Choice two, assimilate. There's no third choice. It can't work. And so Avram says, I can only go to 10 because there's either 10 or there's zero. There's no one. So he thought there were 10 according to the Midrash, maybe. Or maybe Avram said, I can't go further than 10 because I myself know as much as I have Nivuah, as much as I have Hashem's blessing, without the community around me, I couldn't do what I'm doing. So therefore, there's uh, I- there. just a second. There's either a community there or there's nothing. And so Avram stops at 10. Yeah, Kurt. Yeah, so just to clarify, that would seem to be more of a prudential decision than an issue of justice. Right, exactly. Meaning the 50 is a justice thing, majority. And he, he keeps moving it down, but he, he moved moving it down because he says, look, even if we don't have a majority there, there are still enough people to constitute a community that's worthy of saving because there is righteousness there. Once you get to 10, you're at your bare bones limit. You have less than that. There's not even enough community to sustain it because justice, because any proper attitude needs a community to support it. It can't happen alone. And so everyone decides the minimum of that community is 10. Maybe that's related to the way we have a minyan, et cetera. There's other people who suggest other things about the number 10, but it's clearly about a community of, of, of tzedek. And Avram knows that because he built it himself. So now the question is, why do we need to hear this story? And I think we need to hear this story because of this. When we're about to come into the land, and by the way, that's when we hear the story. We hear the story first when we're about to come into the land. Moshe Rabbeinu gives us the whole Torah as he's about to die. And that's when we read Sefer Breshi. Now, we may know the story of Avram, but we see it in this form 
just before about to enter the land. And what's the lesson for us? We're about to enter a land, and what have we been told over and over and over by Moshe Rabbeinu? You come into the land, extirpate the population, expunge them, because otherwise what will happen? You will make a covenant with them, you'll make a treaty with them, you'll hang out with them, you'll intermarry with them, and the next thing you know is you're going to lose your special status, your segula. It'll be lost, because you cannot hang out with people like that and not be influenced. And our story, and specifically Avram stopping at 10, becomes a historic landmark, almost like a watershed moment that demonstrates that, uh, that principle that says you need to have a community, of, a faith community, a community of people who will support each other in this endeavor. And that if you don't, this is what will happen. And so the whole story of Stone and the story of Avram's negotiations become significant for the community that's about to enter the land.